Welcome to the December 16th, 2016 edition of Colorado Inside Out. I'm your host, Dominic Duzzini. Thank you very much for joining us. Let's get a quick take on a speaking engagement featuring Breitbart.com editor Milo Yiannopoulos, causing controversy between CU Boulder faculty members and students and Chancellor Phil DiStefano. On Wednesday, professors and their supporters submitted a written request to ban hate speech during the upcoming appearance. Additionally, students have created online petitions asking for the event to be canceled. Panic Cahoon from Westward, uh, is this part of the whole microaggressions things we've been talking about or the, that it's been kind of out there in the culture for a while or something different? This is more of the same with a kind of a new, fresh background. Look, people have complained on college campuses forever about Army coming to recruit there, uh, Boeing coming to recruit there, you name it. Sometimes, sometimes the conservatives complain too. We've had plenty of complaints in Boulder over different people. I have two words for them. Ward Churchill. If you could put up with him as long as you did at University of Colorado, you can certainly put up with this Breitbart speaker. You have you can petition all you want. That is your free speech right. But the school can also book alternative viewpoints. David Kopel from the Independence Institute and DU Law School. What do you think the appropriate response should be at CU to this event? Well, the same as Hercules. Hercules was fighting Antaeus, who drew his strength from Mother Earth, and every time Hercules would throw him to the ground, Antaeus got all his strength back and became even more powerful. And these professional sissy hysterics... Uh, who are um, having their own meltdown because Milo's coming. That's exactly what he wants. That's what he draws strength from. There's nobody in the planet who's happier about reading this story about their little cry session than Milo himself. And instead, Hercules defeated Antaeus by picking him up, just taking him off the ground, spinning him above his head, and, and killing him. You, can, you don't defeat Milo by getting upset. You can defeat Milo by ignoring him, which would be the best thing, because I think he's a loathsome character and would be well gone from our public life, or by refuting his ideas in a discussion. But every time you go down to the ground and thrash your legs and start kicking and screaming like these losers are, uh, that just makes Milo all the stronger. I think it was pretty cool that with, uh, I'm just assuming here, that with a speaker with a uh, Greek heritage that you went with Greek mythology. Well done. Thank you. Well done, David. Uh, Eric Sonderman, political analyst, what do you think of what we're hearing from CU? Is this kind of what you would expect? Yeah, that's what I expect. So far, uh, Chancellor DiStefano, I think, is doing the right thing. Patty went with her two words of Ward Churchill. I'll go with my two words, grow up. Uh, there are a few more hideous characters out there than this guy Milo. Uh, and protest him all you want, but uh, the First Amendment exists not to protect popular speech. It exists to protect unpopular speech. Uh, there is no requirement that anyone who doesn't want to hear this guy speak go and hear him speak. Go have a beer, stay home, write a paper, do whatever it is you want. You don't have to show up. This political correctness on steroids part of the Trump phenomenon, only a small part, but part of the Trump phenomenon is a backlash to this kind of nonsense. 
Penfield Tate, attorney at QTAC Rock, also a longtime state lawmaker. Uh, what do you think of the reaction up at CU? Um, you know, I think it's appropriate. I, I, as reprehensible as this speech is, I think he has a right to make it, and the campus Republicans have a right to, to have him up there, and if folks want to protest, they ought to do so. This, this sort of reminds me years ago of the dust-up up there when Alexander Haig went to speak up at CU, and it was an interesting family dynamic because my sister was in the audience cheering him on, and my dad was outside protesting his parents. <laughs> so, <laughs> you know, I, I, I think CU's doing the right thing. Let him speak, and I, uh, let him speak, and I agree with David, not the killing Anaya's part, but I, I agree with David. Uh, ignore him, <laughs> and, and hopefully he'll go away. <laughs> it uh, certainly makes sense to me that a, a proud uh, Tate family tradition would have uh, sides on um, both oh, ends of that. that. Makes sense. With Inauguration Day a little more than a month away, certain Colorado electors are still attempting to keep the presidency away from Donald Trump. A federal judge shot down an injunction from two electors challenging whether they were legally bound to cast their votes to match Colorado's results. Meanwhile, Colorado elector Michael Baca has requested a briefing regarding ongoing investigations into ties between Russia and Donald Trump and its alleged role in the 2016 election. Patty, Colorado electors do not go down without a fight. They, they, they'll go down to the bitter end. Uh, do you think anyone's going to join them? Oh, I think many of us are going to be bitter at the end of this. <laughs> Here's the incredible thing. Who needs fake news when we have this really happening? So I love Michael Baca asking for this specific briefing right now when we are finding out that 17 out of, what, 18 intelligence agencies all say they have evidence, they have found that not only did the Kremlin rig the election, but that it went all the way to Putin. And you've got other people saying, oh, this really didn't happen. I wish he could get the briefing. It doesn't seem very likely that before Monday, when the electors are supposed to finalize the, this election, that they will get their hearing. And it also seems like a real Hail Mary that they will have any chance of being let out of the Colorado law that requires them to vote for who won the popular vote in the state. David, do you expect any fireworks before Monday's uh, Electoral College official vote? Um, I, I think the demand for a special CIA briefing is not the appropriate behavior of someone who's taken their position as an elector seriously. Obviously, you cannot do 538 uh, security clearances that would be necessary in time. So that's just political blabber uh, rather than constitutional seriousness. The electors under our Constitution have their free choice. As Hamilton said in Federalist 68, they're a special body of representatives deputed by the, peop by the society for the purpose of making the important choice. It's their choice, and Secretary of State Williams, in saying he won't transmit the votes of the actual electors, I think is flagrantly violating the Constitution. Maybe they can be punished for how they vote, but to try to block their vote, I think, is, is wrong. And the Electoral College was there to prevent uh, a, a man of talents for low intrigue and the little arts of popularity, which is a good description for uh, both of the uh, major party candidates this year. Uh, if they want to choose someone else, um, it would be wonderful if they actually did. Well, folks, in less than 10 minutes in the show, you've also you've seen <laughs> Greek mythology and the Federalist Papers quoted. Nowhere but Colorado Inside Out. So you're welcome, everybody. Uh, Eric, as you look at uh, what we're seeing with the electors, is this a lot of hype before what is just a fait accompli on Monday? You stole my word, Dominic. This is one of the most overhyped stories I have seen in a while. We are talking about a couple of Clinton 
Democratic electors pledged to Hillary Clinton in Colorado, maybe in Washington State, a few other places. I have yet to hear from maybe one Republican elector pledged to Donald Trump, somebody out of Texas. All 232 electors who are pledged to Clinton in states and the District of Columbia that Hillary Clinton won, they could all abandon her. And it has absolutely no consequence whatsoever. This is only a story if you start hearing Trump electors jumping ship, Clinton electors jumping ship. I don't understand what the story is. Whether it's Polly Baca or Michael Baca or another elector, Robert, I don't know how to pronounce his last name, from Colorado Springs or whatever, or some in other states. Maybe instead of abandoning Hillary Clinton on December 19th in the Electoral College vote, if they and other Democratic Party leaders had abandoned her in a timely way in favor of a different candidate, we might not be having this conversation. Penn, it's, it's one of those difficult situations because you ask, you, you see reports out there from all these different intelligence agencies that say that Russia had a role in the election. Whatever that is, we don't know, but had a role. And then you see in Electoral College that it's just supposed to go do their job. W what is the appropriate response that we're supposed to see as a country on Monday? Well, I think the appropriate response goes back to what David said. Uh, you know, the Electoral College was created as, as an independent body as a check on the potential lunacy of the general population. Um, I agree with Eric. I don't think that Clinton electoral voters are going to defect, but I do think there'll be a story. I do think that we will see some electors vote for someone other than Donald Trump and Hillary Clinton. It may not make a difference, but it's significant because, number one, it establishes the ongoing independence of that institution and the true purpose for having an electoral college. And number two, it highlights the fact, and I think it makes clear to this incoming president, you've got some issues. And you're not making the situation any better by your denials in terms of what all of these intelligence agencies are saying. Um, you've even got now Republican Congress people disagreeing with you saying, yeah, we want to probe this. John McCain um, and the congressman out of um, South Carolina, I can't, I've, Lindsey, Graham. Lindsey Graham, they're all saying, yeah, we want an investigation because if this is true, we're not going to countenance Russia doing this to our country. And so it, it, I don't think this story is over yet. It may not change the outcome, but I don't think the story is over. Sun Valley, Denver's poorest neighborhood, will get a facelift after it was announced this week that the city will be awarded a $30 million federal grant. It's the largest grant that Denver Housing Authority has received to date. Construction will begin next year on 750 city-owned mixed-income housing units, parks, a food market, and commercial space. David, a good use for federal funds? No. Uh, <laughs> we have a gigantic budget deficit, and we're borrowing all this money from China, uh, local Denver and Colorado should take care of housing in Denver and Colorado, and the federal government should stick to things that are actually in the U.S. Constitution, like national defense and, and post offices. The Sun Valley is the uh, it, it's the neighborhood um, west of, between Federal and I-25 near near Mile High Stadium, and so people have, you know go through it a lot, uh, and obviously a, a troubled place. But that that's partly because 95 percent of the population is already in housing projects now maybe this new thing will will be an improvement certainly they're going to do they're talking about riverfront uh... expansions that seems obviously a good thing that can benefit 
everyone in terms of how the the rest of what they do uh, we'll see you know they're on the one hand there's the hope that the, you know this growth in, in Lodo and all that will will cross the river and, and start going on there which would be great on the other hand that's going to make it less affordable for people to, to live in the neighborhood but you know uh, so I, I think we'll see but at least the, the park side uh, seems good <laughs> uh, Eric can a project this big with this much federal funding coming into it be done right we'll see I mean, it can be done right. Will it be done right? Uh, only time will tell. I'll disagree with David on this. I mean, if you want to go back to some strict reading of the U.S. Constitution, maybe this isn't an appropriate responsibility, but I think we have been hundreds of years past that point in time. If those funds are going to be available, I'm glad to see Denver go ahead and obtain and take advantage of those funds. This is a very troubled neighborhood. I've you know, visit it. David refers to uh, Mile High Stadium. I think he means Sports Authority Field, named after a bankrupt uh, sporting goods company at this point in time. Uh, but, you know, whether it's after a ball game or uh, on the bike path or whatever, you know, I, I, I see the neighborhood just as an outsider. It's a neighborhood that needs help and deserves help. It strikes me there is a fine line here between economic development, which is what this is, or neighborhood redevelopment, and gentrification. And you don't know where that line is. And gentrification is a fact of life. Neighborhoods are always evolving, changing, some in a positive direction, some in a negative direction. In direction. And there will be displacement here, just as there is massive displacement going on around Denver. That said, I still think it is a net positive. You look across I-25 to what's going on in that area around 10th and Osage, um, near the light rail stop there, and, and that's impressive improvement and vitality of that neighborhood. I hope the same thing happens in Sun Valley. Uh, Pent, I'd like to piggyback right on where Eric left off. You have a population that's Denver's poorest neighborhood. Um, I can't imagine after $30 million worth of investment, those same folks will be able to enjoy and still afford that neighborhood. Um, I don't know what part of it's affordable housing and things like that, but it's certainly going to look different. This studio is down here in Five Points, an historic neighborhood. It's been great to see how that neighborhood has, this neighborhood has, has grown, but we can walk down the street and see how gentrification, the changeover of businesses and the population really affects a neighborhood. Is this a good way to help the poorest neighborhood in Denver? You know, I think it is for a couple of reasons. First, remember the, the grant is to Denver Housing Authority, whose principal mission is to, um, under state law and federal law, provide housing for people who are, are below uh, uh, the area median income. So it will be focused on that population. Secondly, remember DHA has a history of doing some of these developments well. When you look at North Lincoln Park, when you look at Curtis Park, DHA has gotten federal grants, whether it's through Hope or Home or something else, and they've been able to redevelop sites and put a number of the residents back on site because some of this still will be subsidized housing for, for poor residents. Some of it may be market rate, and, but they're going to add some amenities with some commercial development also, um, which is probably badly needed. The last thing I'll offer is, you know, part of how we got here is well-intentioned but misguided policy of the federal government in the 50s and 60s when they built these mammoth projects to institutionalize poor people, predominantly people of color, and threw them in all of these large buildings that looked like prisons um, that had no amenities, that, that had no elevators in many instances. I mean, a 10-story high-rise with no elevator and expected them to thrive. Well, you know, they became breeding grounds for a lot of other things. So it's taken a long time, but to the extent the federal government is assisting these developments, they're doing it the right way. 
Patty's this $30 million grantee boon for Denver? Boon for Denver. And what can go wrong with Ben Carson leading HUD coming January? <laughs> he knows all about this kind of thing. You know, it's fascinating with Sun Valley because the, what has happened to the Platte River over the last 40 years since the Greenway Foundation came in and how that part of town has been rejuvenated when, in fact, no one wanted to live along the Platte, which was just a contaminated cesspool. And so, of course, you put public housing down there. Now it's an increasingly valuable part of town. You've got Cronkey looking at expanding there. You've got the Broncos also looking at maybe taking advantage of this project. So I hope the $30 million is put to good use. I hope it provides great housing for these people who really need it. And absolutely some commercial, because there are no stores, there are no groceries. It, so it could be really, really great. And as I said, with Ben Carson in charge, should be fine. <laughs> Experience will we'll show the day there. You're right. In a 3-2 to two vote on Wednesday, the board, the board of El Paso County's Hanover School District approved a measure allowing teachers to carry concealed guns on campus. The school district's 28 teachers can carry weapons following peace officer standards and training, which will allow this policy to work under current state law. Uh, Eric, do you think we're going to see uh, more school districts adopt this policy? Probably not a lot. I actually know Hanover a bit as a young kid many, many years ago growing up in Colorado Springs. I was part of a basketball team. We'd go play other community teams out on the eastern plains of eastern El Paso County. We'd play Hanover. I was like in middle school and we were playing guys with hair on their chest. I mean, you know, I mean, we were playing some, <laughs> this was very rural. I think it's become a little more exurban now. Uh, we were playing some people that uh, I would have liked to check those birth certificates. Uh, but, uh, uh, I guess my take on this story is, you know, vintage El Paso County. David will have more to say about it. I'm sure he's, he's studied the issue. Uh, obviously, they'll be certified, but I'm not a big believer that that is the answer to school safety issues is to arm more people. I found the most interesting part of the story is one of the rationales for why they needed this is the number of grow operations within a mile or two mile proximity to the school, which is telling of what's going on in parts of rural Colorado right now. Pat, Eric brings up a great point that I was thinking about as well, was the rationale given. Because on one end, I, I saw one report that said, well, they, some schools could be 20 minutes away from the nearest emergency response. Okay, I can, I can see that rationale. But then saying, well, we're worried about, I believe the line I saw in the report was uh, Cuban Pot, uh, pair of marijuana cartels of uh, having crime in our, our community, and that's a little far-fetched. What did you think of the rationale given? I, I think the rationale was specious at best. Um, it, 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 it seems bizarre, but I acknowledge that rural Colorado has for years had a drug problem in terms of the manufacture and distribution, whether it's be meth or other drugs. You see a lot of that in rural Colorado. But the fundamental point is, it's not the right solution to tell teachers they should be packing in a, in a schoolhouse. And, and we have this conversation a lot, but, you know, when I keep debating my friends and, and my respected colleagues at the table, the Second Amendment starts with the phrase, a well-regulated militia. Well-regulated. This, this is nuts. Uh, if, if you want added security, hire armed guards if you want to, or have police officers there. DPS used to have these these police officers in schools, uh, you, 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 I think you detract from the educational purpose and mission of teachers if they have to run around strapped just in case they need to, to have a shootout with Cubans and Colombians who are running around trying to move marijuana through the schoolyard or something. Patty, your thoughts on this and especially the rationale given? 
Well, maybe I'm missing something, but I don't think Cuban drug growers go into the high school or the grade school to use the science lab to make hash oil. That's, they really don't do a lot in those schools. I would think they would stay away from them. So the argument is really stupid, specious, as Penn said. If, in fact, they are so strapped in this rural community and they need more security, tax these grow houses, tax the, uh, tax the legal warehouses, and get more law enforcement, have it pay for them. But the argument makes so little sense that you wonder really what the rest of the policies for carrying will carry. David, the floor is yours. Will this catch on? Um, it, increasingly, and that, that's definitely been the trend. Not, not gonna, definitely not going to be adopted everywhere, but especially in places where they are a long way from law enforcement response time, 20 minutes or 45 minutes is some of the, the times I've heard. Uh, the school board, I think, handled it in a good way, putting and took a lot of opinion from the public, not only at the hearing, uh, but through online comments. Um, and as it turned out, the community was, it was almost exactly 50-50 uh, among the parents and the teachers and the, the students at, at, at the different grade levels. And they, uh, they published the, the comments people had made. The comments I thought that were most interesting in, in a way, were of the, the students who were no. The most common th argument they raised is teachers are crazy and I'm afraid of them. <laughs> but <laughs> but here's, here's the good thing to reassure them. This is the same policy that's been in effect in Utah uh, for, for most of this century. And in fact, what with the requiring peace officer standards training, which is the same as to be a be hired by the Denver Police Department or the uh, El Paso County Sheriff's Office or any other to be a, to be a certified law enforcement officer in Colorado. That's the training you get. So they're talking about whoever's going to have have this security guard role having that very high level of, of training. This isn't you, a day somewhere getting yeah, a license. Yeah, no. Yeah. Utah, however, is just the you know you have a concealed carry permit lawfully. Uh, you can carry on public school property, including if, if you're a teacher. And fortunately, we have not had any crazy teachers in Utah uh, shoot their students. So I think the, uh, the people who are worried about misbehavior uh, by school employees don't need to, to worry about that. They can look to Utah as the model. Well, let's get to our favorite part of the show, Disgrace the Week. As always, Ms. Calhoun, please start us off. I understand that coming up with a solution for homelessness in Denver is very, very tricky. But I'm pretty sure the solution is not for the Denver police to take the blankets from the homeless people while video cameras are going. That video went viral. The police had to issue an apology. The mayor's office had to issue a fact that they say we are not going to do that anymore. Not a good move. David. The Colorado Film Corporate Welfare Board just announced $300,000 to give to Robert F. Kennedy III, who spends half his time in Aspen and half the time on the East Coast. He's going to make a movie about Hunter Thompson. Great topic. But we don't need to give welfare to the Kennedys. They probably know lots of other rich people uh, who can give them money instead. I remember the time when the Kennedys were in favor of expanding welfare for poor people and not to take money from poor people through taxes and give it to Kennedys. Seems like a long time ago. Eric. Oh, so many possibilities this week. You could ask uh, the half billion Yahoo users out there about a disgrace of the week. I'm going to go a different direction. Aleppo. What, is, what we are seeing in Aleppo is a, a, a tragedy of our generation. Uh, it is heart-rendering, uh, heartbreaking to watch. 
I don't think the U.S. has any good options right now, but that is a function of decisions that were made by this administration two and three and four years ago when they closed up the toolkit of options, uh, created a vacuum, let Vladimir Putin walk into that vacuum, and the citizens of Aleppo and the citizens throughout Syria are paying for those decisions of the U.S. and allies a few years back. It is tragic and despicable. Penn. I don't want to sound like a Cold War warrior, but um, Russia globally, between Aleppo and the hacking and just some of their behavior, um, and it's interesting, I've been watching a documentary series um, beginning with World War II and sort of talking about how Russia became Russia and how the Allies had left them hanging in World War II, um, but there's something disturbing going on with the leadership there. and. Uh, this new administration better recognize the, the, the urgency. Say something nice about somebody, Patty? To return to the homeless topic, but also someone who's doing something about it, Platform has a really great show that is opening tomorrow. North High School students worked and went and did audio tapes and videotapes of homeless people educating themselves about the issue. So it's opening tomorrow at Platform. David, to follow up Penn's point about the constructively new awareness about the menace of communist tyranny, the people of Taiwan who have maintained their independence uh, from that tyrannical genocidal regime uh, for many decades, and I'm, I'm glad they're doing so and uh, glad the new president is, appears to be supportive of their legitimate human right of self-determination. Eric. It's the season of light, and to everyone out there, whatever their religious tradition and religious affiliation, uh, merry, happy, and enjoy. Here. I agree with Eric. There just seems to be something a little bit different in the air, maybe because of what we've been through with this election cycle. People want to be cheerier this, this holiday season, but, but I'm sensing it, and, and peace on earth and goodwill toward men during this season. That could also be cannabis, too, in Colorado. <laughs> <laughs> a little bit of everything here in Colorado. <laughs> I wasn't going to go there, Patty, but okay. <laughs> that, is, that is all the time we have tonight. Thanks for tuning in. Next week, we have a very special treat. It's our annual year review show, and of course, we brought our very special holiday sweaters. Tuning in to just see what, pe what Penn wears is worth it. Trust me. That is next Friday at 8 o'clock, and on the 30th, we'll offer our look-ahead show with predictions sure to go wrong for 2017. Be sure to check out the Colorado Inside Out podcast feed on iTunes and Google Play. And, of course, you can check out all the topics of CIO on our Facebook and Twitter feeds. For everyone here at Colorado Public Television, I'm Dominic Dizzuti. Thanks for watching. Good night.